Welcome to episode 43 of Elves, Rings, and Nerdy Things. I am your co-host, Sam, here with my other co-host, Sean. Sean, how are you doing? Feeling saucy on a Monday night. Saucy on a Monday night. All right, well, we are here to talk about episode four of season three of The Witcher on Netflix. Before we jump into our reactions, we're going to do a quick recap. This was taken off of Wikipedia. I guess the show runners heard about heard on our episode that nobody had summarized the episodes on Wikipedia, so they took some time out of their writer's strike picket line walking in order to edit the Wikipedia for their own show. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but all the other episodes do have synopses yeah. now. So, I mean, I would love to like dig into the, Wiki- the Wikipedia edit page and see who the... Who did it when? Who did it. <laughs> it's like... L Hisring. Anyway, okay. Recap of episode four. Emperor Emir commands Kahir to assassinate Francesca. Upon reaching her and the Squayatale, Kahir persuades her to join forces in their search for Ciri. Fringilla enjoys her newfound freedom. Aboard a ship to Eratusa, Geralt, Ciri, Yaskir, and the rest of the crew are attacked by an Ishna, which Geralt and Ciri kill. At Eratusa, Yennefer convinces the Brotherhood of Sorcerers to host a conclave for mages to strengthen unity of the North against Nilfgaard. Later, Yennefer visits the Redanian court to invite Philippa Eilhart and try to win the support of King Visimir, who orders not only Philippa, but Dijkstra and Radovid to attend as well. On her way back, Yennefer is ambushed. Meanwhile, Triss and Istrid investigate the missing Eratusan students and Book of Monoliths, respectively. Similarly to Yennefer and Geralt, they arrive at the conclusion that Stregobor is the mastermind behind those events, as well as Rience's actions. Ciri and Yaskir are kept in a safe haven outside of Eratusa. There, Yaskir is approached by Radovid, and they confess their romantic feelings for one another. They do more than that. There, or excuse me, Geralt, Yennefer, and the Northern Mages gather at Eratusa to begin the conclave with a banquet. Before we jump into our reactions, I have one point. Of clarification. I did not write this Wikipedia article, and by the way, there were a couple of typos, so somebody may have written the article, but nobody came in and edited this recap prior. I should have done that before I read it. In the thing talking about Triss and Istrid coming to the conclusion that Stregobor is the mastermind, did they do that? I thought I it was left kind of vague. Yeah, I don't think they did in this one. Yeah. They had they both had the shared vision of like a location. Like yeah, like the closet uh, or whatever with like the carved flower, mm-hmm. right? And that's supposed to be. I'm assuming that's Stregobor's. Yeah, but I don't whatever. think in this one they figured out that it was him. Okay, so and then I'll say this: I don't know if they, if Emir explicitly says kill Francesca. I think it's implied, but it's not. It's just because it's written on a piece of paper, and then Kahir like responds to it. it's like Francesca. Really, do you think we can get there? And then. There's a little bit of mention of Fringilla. Doesn't he say something like your target is Francesca or something like that? I don't think so. I thought I remembered that, but I'll say to start this one, Sam texted me Friday morning at 8 a.m. I guess it's Pacific. So 
not as I, I watched on Thursday night. I wanted to text you Thursday night, but I didn't. Yeah, I don't and, know why, because it's earlier for me. Well, I, I think we were dealing with a baby or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, gotcha. Well, 8 a.m. my time, I get a text from Sam. Episode four pissed me off so much. <laughs> so if that gives you any idea of what how sassy Sam's going to be for this episode, you are forewarned. All right, so let's play a little game here, Sean, because you, in our pre-taping conversation, you said that there were two things that you thought I might have enjoyed in this episode. I want to know what those are. And then I also posed a challenge to you, which is to say, what is the plot point, the actual like meat part of the episode that you think I dislike the most? And then what is my most pedantic nitpick with the episode? So let's. why don't you start with the two things that you think I would have liked about the episode, and we can circle back to those other two challenges yeah the first i thought you would like was the fight the monster fight oh the actual action of that yeah okay i mean uh, you've you've talked in previous episodes how they're getting too far away from like the witcher fighting monsters and and then they actually gave you a fight a big fight scene with a monster in this one yes so that is i guess the actual fight itself was decent here's what i would have wanted though just invent a nobody put them on the boat and have the monster eat that person so that we can establish this thing is actually dangerous because as it is it just knocks over some of those banned people and then they're seen because kind of walking with a slight limp later on like make these things dangerous like i felt danger even though i knew Geralt would be fine in the fight with the weird girl monster this one I mean, Siri did all the work too. So, I mean, it was it was a cool fight. We'll talk about the rest of that scene in a maybe a separate section, but when we get to it, yeah, yeah, when we get to it, yeah. But up the stakes, just you know, those are you invented the band. You could just put somebody on the ferry that gets pulled overboard and eaten, or like a goat or something like that. Just you know, show that this. I don't feel a lot of danger in this show about treachery and magic and monsters yeah (laughs) anyway all right what was your second thing that you thought i would mind like the second thing that i thought you wouldn't mind they went out of their way sam to give you more drunk fringilla (laughs) i thought you would have loved that okay so that's a joke i i absolutely hated that scene one because it's completely pointless and it just it detracted from time for literally anything else that you could have done in that episode and two because it was so i want to say trashy i i don't know like and i don't it didn't it didn't feel like the show no it didn't and if i had done a little bit more preparation i would have actually gone and confirmed this and i know they have a relatively like not every single episode is written by a different person but there are multiple people help writing episodes in each of these seasons and they seem no no single episode seems like somebody's coherent vision or nobody nobody has a vision that is coherent to the base material if that makes sense well it seems like they divvied up each episode yeah they're like you write this plot point of this episode we'll do these and then they'll all be like jumbled together and it never really flows 
Yes. And then you get weird scenes like this with Fringilla where it's like. It, what was the point? Just to be like, hey, what's like, Fringilla been up to? Yeah, Fringilla is hanging out in a bar and. Because she's referenced by Kihir. And by Francesca, right? Uh, yeah, both. Yeah. I mean, which, like when they said that Frangilla is dead. So here's here's my question, because they didn't show this on screen. When Frangilla escaped, she played dead and mm-hmm. they somebody seemingly somebody put her body in that corpse bag she was dumped and then she escaped and did whatever if her death it wasn't clear that she didn't just kind of hitch a ride in the body bag for the guy that actually died and so she would be like nobody we, we never saw anybody say oh there's Frangilla, she's dead it was just Somebody died. Fringilla was there. They said, put this body in a bag and then they dump and they complain about how heavy this guy was not seemingly not knowing that Fringilla was also there. Like there wasn't anything. They didn't say anything like, you know, they didn't there was there had been no reference that they acknowledged Fringilla died when they dumped her body. That seemed like it was she was escaping with the like them taking out the trash, basically. Yeah, I don't remember that line. I always assumed that. She just faked her death and then they threw her out. I don't remember the, this body is especially heavy because that would change how I interpret it. But yeah, I, I recall them saying that line either way. It doesn't matter because this, I I don't really know what they're building. It's not clear what they're building toward with Fringilla. It's this scene was pointless and boring. And then it ended with the whole like talking about boats stuff which is that there are two like references to boats aside from the actual boat that we get in this episode so i guess it's basically all roads lead to eratusa because it's an island but the way that they package it is so frustrating like you should see her building herself up again not being a like a parting like a frat boy you know anyway so that was your sarcastic guesses. <laughs> the second thing that I liked in this episode. Yeah, I had no other thing that I thought you'd actually like. One was real. One was a joke. So, okay. So, what do you think? Well, actually, so let's let's turn it back over to you. What what was your reaction to this episode? Entirely neutral. I had no strong positives. I had no strong negatives. I was just again. Like we've talked in multiple episodes with this season so far where it's like, I'm just not interested, really. They're not doing much to get me. And even through four episodes. And I said last episode that we recorded, 42, that I really liked episode five of season three. And we'll talk about that next week. But that doesn't mean I liked episode four or one, two, and three. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get there. And I think, have you watched episode five yet? Not yet. No, no, not yet. I think you'll also like it. Maybe potentially we'll see, but I did this one. I'm not interested in really any of the storylines. So yeah, it just is what it is. I, I, to me, it just, it's more and more obvious that this is just not a well-made show. And you look at something like, Game of Thrones, the final season, right up until the end, even as the writing 
went off a cliff. It was with the with the very notable exception of the the battle at Winterfell with the when the army of the dead comes and you can't see a thing in that episode. I that was so that was just Isn't terrible. that the episode where the writers were like, you should turn the brightness up on your TV? Did they say that? They, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I was like, I, I got a better idea. Why don't you fucking light the episode better so that we don't have to do that? I remember watching with a group of friends and it was like we were we turned the lights, all the lights completely off, like put the curtains, close the curtains, turn the brightness up and you still could barely see anything. Anyway, with that notable exception, Game of Thrones really never suffered from a deterioration other than the writing. The costumes were still really good. The performances were good for what they were given to deal with. The music was always great. You still got a sense that that world was fleshed out and people of skill and care were working on it. With this show, it's just like they don't, again, they don't take any time to show us where we are. They haven't built this world. And with the exception of the costumes for the mages ball like it's everything just looks very generic like the the procession scene for the Hedwig's funeral it's in slow motion and the first thing that you see are these guards and the guards look like they're wearing like Halloween costumes for medieval soldiers and they don't even axes yeah with the tiny little axes it was just and then they're like procession the funeral procession is around a, a garden like if the queen dies, you would like just that's when you go and you get the cathedral as your your location. I don't know where they they film in Eastern Europe, right? In Hungary and Romania, or at least they did. I don't know where exactly. Either way, yeah, but a they, shot pr- of a- they process around like this garden, and then they end up in like his like map back the, room back in the dining room of the ca- yeah. where everything happens in this this you have this gigantic castle and everything happens in the dining room this except, is redania <laughs> yeah which so uh, earlier today when i was putting together our outline i also went and looked at a map just to see because i know that the i don't Sapkowski has never put out a map in his books correct not that i'm aware of but there is a map in the video games as far as i know mm-hmm but he describes things in a lot of detail to the point where people, obviously the video game makers, but then other folks have just created maps of this world. And it would be so easy. Like they they make up, the showrunners make up all their own stuff with the plot lines and the mischaracterizations and whatever else. Just make up your own map or steal a map from the video games or do something so that you can actually create this world because it just feeds into this like talking about getting your audience invested we have no idea where people are where different scenes are there was a moment where there were there are three scenes in this episode that take place in the woods at night and we have no way of knowing that they're not all just happening around the corner from one another do you know the scenes that i'm talking about vaguely i mean back to back to back you have the cabins outside of Eratusa, which what is this a glamping expedition or something like that so you have that and then you have the scenes with the elves and kahir also in the woods at night and then you have the scene with applegat running or riding through the forest being killed 
at night. And it's just, did they do anything to set up the fact that these locations, which look like they are exactly the same, are in fact dozens or hundreds of miles apart as they actually would be in the plot of this? And then it's exacerbated by the fact that they're all happening seemingly at the same time. Anyway, so that's my, this is, I guess, our weekly entry into the, their world building is total shit journey. I mean, that's the whole theme of the show so far, at least in season three. All right. What else you got? Well, nothing. We can just start going down the, going down the list. Uh, the reaction okay. outline. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about the world building. Do so you, we can kind of check that one off. Do you have a guess for my most pedantic nitpick? The type of oat that they were using wasn't prevalent in medieval <laughs> oh, times. Oh my God. Know. Okay. So this is a, this, we're about to take an oat detour real quick. So, oh dear God. For those of you who are following along, I have a child. My wife and I have a child. The baby is a little over four months old and she is going through her first bout of illness. She's got a fever, sore throat, little fussy. And so to soothe her, we are watching child children's programming, which is not normally something we would do. We're trying to minimize screen time, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so today during a feeding to try to relax her, Haley played a video that was like a animated Mother Goose songs thing. And you know the song Peas Porridge Hot, Peas Porridge Cold, Peas Porridge In The Pot, Nine Days Old? It sounds familiar. So that song was playing and the animation was, I think it was a mouse like stirring a pot of obviously porridge and the mouse lives in a shoe, which I guess is supposed to be mother goose or whatever. And then on the table, they show oats and milk. And I said, Oh, that's funny. Do they not realize that peas porridge is describing a porridge made out of peas, which was a very common dish in the middle ages. Yes. I'm going back to things that people actually ate in the Middle Ages. Anyway, and so that involves into an argument. So, yes, I am that pedantic where I will talk about how those that porridge is not supposed to be made of oats. It's supposed to be made of peas. But that was not my issue with this episode. What's your pedantic nitpick? The, the stupid mechanism by which this fairy operates, a gigantic chain from a desolate cliff to another desolate cliff. It's just so nonsensical. Like there are gigantic chains across bodies of water, both in history and elsewhere in fantasy. And it's always to protect a strategic location, not as a means of transporting nothing from nowhere to nowhere. It Hashtag is, Constantinople. Yeah. The Gulf of the Golden Horn is a great example of that. They do this really well in the Game of Thrones, uh, both the book series, to a lesser extent, the show. I don't know if it's in the show, actually. But in the book series, there's a huge part of that, the Battle of King's Landing in the second book, what, what, what is adapted as the second season, where there's a, they use a chain to block the body of water. Anyway, it just doesn't, it, it's just so, again betrays the fact that the writers don't actually know how things really work. And so when they try to adapt them into the show, it just comes off like it's fake. And then you have this, you have this again, a fairy, which launches from a cliffside. Like how do you get goods up and down the cliff? And they had to completely invent this whole reason to be on the ferry because they just, I think they have a throwaway line. Oh, it's too far to ride back. 
you were riding for 20 minutes as far as we know we didn't like yeah how did you get you to could just, have just turn shown around up. that's what i'm saying like they're just adding scenes from the books now to be like see we're going back to the yeah. books but they're doing it in a way that's nonsensical doesn't make sense the so because they say they say yeah skier says or Geralt goes we could drive we could go around the bay or whatever a golf or whatever it is calls it a golf yeah and Yaskir goes, yeah, that would add two days to the trip, though. But you've already established that there's no real, like, timing or, like, yeah. distances for anything. <laughs> so they could have legit just been like, boom, we're at the cabin outside of Aratusa. And yeah. based off of everything else they've done in the show so far, you should be like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, the... I mean, you you said that you thought I would like the fight scene. And the the action was was decent. But the, the the way that they adapted that scene from the book completely missed the point of the book scene. Like, first of all, in the book, it's just it's it takes place in Blood of Elves. It's not even in Time of Contempt. And he's traveling on a barge, not a ferry, that's going downstream from one city to another city. And it's the whole scene is kind of a meditation on monsters and ecology. And he's got a, there's really great dialogue between Geralt and this professor figure or researcher. I think he's somebody who, like teaches at the Oxenford Academy. And you've got all these other little characters peppered on the barge, like the barge master. And then there's a mom and her kid. And then there's like some customs agents. And the whole reason Geralt is doing it and he's going out of his way to be conspicuous is to draw Rienz out which I think it ends up being successful because it kind of sets up his ultimate confrontation with Rience. Mm -hmm. In in this adaptation, it is in service of what exactly? Like you could make an argument that it's so that he can teach Siri a lesson, but Siri no, just she, ends up. Yeah, Siri just says, "Do you want my hunting skills to get rusty? So let's go kill a monster." Yeah, and that's what... the that's the entire point that it serves. Which and then like, but it's kind of counter to Gerald's thing of like taking a life is like a significant thing. You don't want to basically talking about how it's not it's not a trivial thing to take a life. And then they just beat up this monster and let's go and practice kill it. on this monster. Yeah, like when you like in in the prior episode, like the best part of the prior episode was highlighting how Geralt found a cure for somebody's lycanthropy. It's just so back and forth and if it would develop it'd be way different like if you would have had all of these scenes in the beginning where he's like practicing on monsters to kill them and then you develop into oh i helped this guy with lycanthropy and now he's fine yeah like but instead it's like you said it's ebbs and flows with him being kind to the monsters and then not and we had in the first episode, I think it was the first episode of the season, right? Yeah, after the, actually, excuse me, before the ambush, when the both the Tail and Rience just happened upon Siri and Geralt and Yennefer, we have that whole speech about Siri, I'm going to be a queen and do all this and that, right? And I said at the time that it's motivated by absolutely nothing. Like, that could be the arc of Siri's character is where she starts getting a greater appreciation for her powers and her abilities. And she decides that she wants to go on this path. And part of that is learning from Geralt. Like, yes, you have all this power, but you need to wield it widely or excuse me, wield it wisely. You can't 
you can't just, you know, chop everybody's head off. You have to be just and all these other things like that would, and that would be, that would be really good. And we don't get that. So the next thing that we, well, that we can talk about is the scene where Geralt and Yennefer are reunited. And then I really liked how instead of giving us the actual dialogue, we get the pretend dialogue that Yaskier and Siri use to basically narrate the scene because newsflash, the writers aren't good enough to repair the relationship using actual dialogue. So they just have to do it and make a joke out of it. That was my well, reaction. And when they all group together, we still don't really get it. Well, the first time we see Yennefer in this episode, she's back at Aratusa. No dialogue or conversation about Siri leaving, like Yennefer's reaction to it. It's oh, just, yeah. oh, it's like yeah. nothing happened. Yeah. And then that's the first thing we get when they get back together is that first conversation. But if it's pointless because it's like an episode ago, Siri left and nothing came of it. Like yep. there was no, you didn't care and you didn't wonder where she was or what happened to her. You'd think maybe Tasaya or Margarita Loxantil would say something like, how can we, you know, your ward, is she going to be this disobedient when she's a student at Eratusa? You know, there's, again, no, yeah, no consequences for the rash behavior of Siri because we have this manufactured appearance of the wild hunt. She's instantly rescued by Geralt and then everything's back to normal as if it didn't happen. And then we still don't have any reparation in the relationship between Geralt and Yennefer. It wasn't left perfect. No. And then there's another comment between Tissaia, Yennefer and Triss where Tissaia says to Triss something about we need stronger novices. And then she looks at Yennefer and goes, hopefully yours is better suited. Oh, well, so but we still like Siri just peaced out and Yennefer to her knowledge be like, well, Actually, to say my novice who you saw at the little town outside of Aratusa kind of just ran away. Yeah. Don't know where she went. I have no idea where she is. Yeah. In the books, Yennefer goes after her. And it is at that point that she and Geralt and Ciri are reunited. And then they come together, the three of them, into Aratusa. They don't meet up in the woods after the stupid ferry ride. The other. And so. Well, actually, let's, there's. I want to talk about the whole novices disappearing thing, but let's first go back to what you, because you mentioned Yennefer's first scene is her addressing the Brotherhood, and one of the, or and excuse me, either the brother, the Brotherhood or the chapter, because they're not clear, and I think they use those terms interchangeably, but they are in fact different. The Brotherhood is all of the sorcerers that are that decide to come together. So when we talk about uniting all the northern mages. It's the brotherhood of mages. That, those are the people from whom basically Vilgefortz and whoever else recruited the, the forces that went to fight at Sodden. And there were some that chose not to. And all of them together make up the brotherhood. Then there is the chapter. And the chapter is a smaller group of very powerful senior mages who make decisions about matters of import. These two things have kind of been combined because we have a we have Yennefer appearing in front of a seemingly select group of people, but it's larger than the chapter is supposed to be. 
And there are people who appear to be junior or similar rank to Yennefer, such as Sabrina Glebisig, who at least Tris. in the show is and Tris too. Yeah, Tris, is Tris on the sitting in that group? I mean, so is Sabrina when Yeah, and and like Sabrina for sure was with Yennefer at Eratusa as a student. And I think Tris was even younger and less experienced. So you have these, so they don't, it's not really clear what the leadership structure is, which is fine. We can overlook that. But then this whole thing with Yennefer has been, oh, I'm going to grovel. I'm going to make them trust me again. Instead, she's kind of giving instructions. Like in order for me to be trusted again, I need you all to call this conclave. And because Tasaya and Vilgefortz back it, like it's, it's still, it's so kind of weird, like to, in order to repair the trust that you destroyed by not executing a prisoner, which by the way, was a complete fabrication. So we can lay that at the hand, the feet of the writers in order to repair this trust, you are going to assemble all of the mages together in the same place so that you can unite everybody against Nilfgaard and why exactly do you care so much about Nilfgaard like that's the other thing that's not clear is Yennefer says Nilfgaard is going to destroy the continent is there any reason to believe that that is the case and why because yeah, they tried because they tried to invade right but in the in the in the books Yennefer is but not in the books of, but this this is the show now I'm, I'm, but I'm saying like but why does Yennefer care about anything that Nilfgaard is doing if anything one could make the argument that in the show canon, Yennefer is part Elven, and Nilfgaard is at least able or willing to partner with the Elves. And so, if anything, she should be like anti the kingdoms that persecute Elves. I think at this point, she's just trying to create a safe haven for Siri in the show, and by bringing her to Aratusa, uniting the Brotherhood. Uniting the Northern Kingdoms against Nilfgaard, she's creating that safe environment. But she doesn't say anything about, and and we still actually don't know. Dude, so much of this show, you <laughs> have to just interpret it in your head. That's <laughs> I, why, like, it's there's so it's, many of these plots that you and I talk about where I have a different interpretation of events than you do because they make you fill in gaps in your head. I... So like so many things happen <laughs> where I fill in the blanks in my head, but I don't know if that's what the writers intended, like what I actually come up with or not. It's just the way it is. And yeah. this is my interpretation of the events is that she's just trying to create like a safe haven for Siri. Who knows if that's what the real intent was? I don't think we'll ever really know, but I, no, I don't, I think you're right because that's the, that is what she has said. But then, and so this is the second piece that I want to, I want to come back to. We have the whole novices disappearing thing, which at first I thought, okay, they're just giving Triss and Istrid something to do. Cause you have that, so, that completely manufactured encounter in the library where Istrid is hanging out by a bookshelf that just happens to contain the list of all of the novices that have disappeared. And he's he's just 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 hanging out, and then they reconnect. Even though we've never seen these two characters interact before, and we have no reason to know that they know each other, and there's even like a kind of flirtation going on, which I kind of pref would have preferred if Istrid had just kind of kept a torch burning for Yennefer, and then we can have an interesting kind of love triangle there with Geralt. Either way, 
you think that the seemingly violent disappearance of at least four, maybe now five novices would ring a few more bells. And you think that you think that Tasaya would actually care more than she seems to, because then she has that line that you mentioned, which is, well, our novices need to be tougher. And then they keep kind of well, like, oh, then, you know, three or four people ran away, you know, in my year or whatever it was. It's like it's never been established that people just leave Eratusa. It's been established that people are turned into eels, but it's never been established that a bunch of people disappearing with blood left in their rooms is normal. And it's just somebody in this situation. So if you're supposed to be in charge of children or young people and there's evidence that they're violently disappearing, you might do a little bit more especially in the scene that you have with Yennefer, who is talking about bringing Siri, Triss doesn't say novices are disappearing violently. She just says, this isn't the right place for her or something like that. And it, it's just so frustrating because the only reason that that plot line isn't immediately elevated is because they need it to set up this whole reverse about who the big villain is. Yeah, so you mentioned one of your notes, Vilgefort's conversation. She asks how he knows the mage is a he, but Vilgefort doesn't say, didn't say he. I rewinded it, and he doesn't say he. He says mage, which it's not established that that's a gendered term. And in the, the closed captions, Yennefer's statement is, she says something along the lines of, I didn't or I didn't say he, how do you know he's male or how do you know they're male? And the he is in quotations as if she is quoting Vilgefort's back to himself, but that didn't actually happen. And oh, that's the other thing that doesn't make any sense. And to your point of things happen that we have to fill in our heads. Like I assume that you filled in your head that there were multiple mages who established that untraceable portal. So yeah, because he says that. Yeah, he says that. And he says, he says the council, which there is no council. There's the conclave, that is an event that's being planned. And then there is the chapter, which is a group of people, and the brotherhood, which is a bigger group of people. There is no council. Anyway, so you you would think that immediately after somebody tried to murder Yennefer using this portal, that there would have been a like, hey, all of the mages who got that portal together, this happened to me. Does anybody know about this? Who tried to murder me just now? Instead, she comes back and then briefly talks with Triss and then goes to the woods to meet with Geralt and then doesn't mention the whole tried to murder me thing until they're back at Eratusa. And and this whole time, Geralt still thinks that Eratusa is the best place for Siri to go. So like, it's just all of them, anybody, Yennefer and Geralt, seem like they're idiots for trying to bring Siri to Eratusa, given everything that is becoming clear. And it's just so it's just baffling character decisions that are made up by the writers because all of this is happening and there's no justification for it from the books. And even Siri says this is probably isn't the best place for me. <laughs> yeah. I if only they would have listened to her. Moving on, Radovid and you ask your kiss and then some your yeah. big point is, is it forced? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a, a the, here's the thing. This was the scene that to me was the most makes my makes me feel something positive. And a lot of it is on the back of, I think, the Radovid actor's performance and 
I think Joey Batty is doing a good job with it. But yeah, I there were several points in this episode where the a phrase like best self or best selves or truly, you know, these these statements about being were made and it, it felt like that was kind of a theme, but mainly in the dialogue, not not much beyond that. I don't, I don't think at least if it was, it was more muddled with all the other crap that they're throwing at us. The thing is, I still don't know if Radovid is not just playing a game. Uh, I think it's obvious that he's playing a game with Yaskir. Okay. You, th- you, you think so? Oh yeah. Well, you've also, you've, you've watched episode five. So if something happens in episode five, uh, there's nothing in episode five that makes me think so. Okay. I mean, if you, un- if you know the plot loosely from the books, you know what happens in and around the ball for the most yeah. part. The timing of it, based off of the plot of where they should be going, he's totally playing yes here. I, I, yeah, to me, I think it's beyond a doubt. And I think I, the three episodes in volume two will prove that. Okay. Well, the he did a good job with the long con. And it's a testament to the actor's performance that it's it actually made me feel something, even if it might be a little hollow. Even then, we still come back to this whole, do they know how to set things up? Because one minute, Siri and Yaskir are joking with when as they observe Yennefer and Geralt. And then the next minute, they're in a cabin that came out of nowhere that is somehow magically protected out of nowhere. And then Radovid is trying to knock on the door out of nowhere. And then Yaskir, instead of staying in the cabin that is magically protected, goes outside with nothing but a loot to defend himself. Welcome to the world of the Witcher. But Sean, it doesn't make sense. I it's I mean, how many times can we say that though? I know, I know. It's getting we're at, I, we're at a point where it's like, if we just watch it and talk about it, we'll just keep repeating over and over that the decisions of the characters, the decisions of the writers, none of it really makes sense. So here we are. Your last point yeah. that you wrote down in your notes. Everyone oh, yeah. asks everyone else if they are sure about this. That's a tie-in to episode five, I'll say, because they're all kind of plotting at this point. Yeah. And you may have had like a negative point of trying to add that in, but I think in the context of what happens in episode five, it kind of makes sense because they all are plotting at this point. Well, I mean, Tris and Eastrid, Yennefer and Geralt. They all kind of have their own. Plans. Well, everybody, they to have, say and Vilgaforts, and it seems like a lot of people are really mistaken, right? Because you have, you have, Yennefer and Geralt who th- are now pursuing Stregobor. Geralt's like, I'm going to kill him, and Yennefer's like, Oh no, we need to be careful because it'll be our word against his. It's not like we need to gather evidence, and maybe that's what she meant. But then you've got Istrid and Triss who are kind of also on their Scooby-Doo hunt for the creature, for the the big bad, the person haunting the amusement park. And they think it's, I'm assuming, you said it's Stregobor. I think that's that's fine. It, it wasn't made clear in this episode that they think Stregobor is the person responsible. No, they don't, because all they saw was the bookshelf. Oh, that was the episode. They... The epi- In the episode summary, it says that they... Yeah, the episode summary was fucked up, but it's not. Yeah. So, and then you have whatever Vilgeforts and Tasaya are being sure about. And we know that, you know, Vilgeforts is 
let's just say not being fully truthful with her. So I kind of, I didn't mind it. It's just a little obvious. You know, it's kind of like in Star Wars where they always say, I have a bad feeling about this. Where it's just kind of a gimmicky line. And then you have everybody say it in succession. Where, again, this goes to my whole, like, the writer's, like, the themes are both superficial and also not fully developed. So you can get them, but then they don't really resonate. Yeah. It's like, to me, (laughs) I thought the barge scene or the fairy scene was a really kind of good summary of this. It's It's like, you've got an empty vessel traveling nowhere. It started nowhere. It's going nowhere. It's completely pointless. And then there's nothing on it. It's just a waste of time. And that's kind of fight scene with a cool fight scene. Yeah. With the cool fight scene again, kind of went to undermine the dialogue that the main character had to his young protege. And that's episode four. Everybody. Everybody. (laughs) Sam's favorite. We're we're in peak television right now. I'm actually excited to talk about next week's episode, episode five, the last episode of volume one. I actually enjoyed. So hopefully you will enjoy it too, as we cover it next week. Otherwise you can follow us on Facebook. Elves rings and nerdy things. You can email us at elves rings and nerdy things at gmail.com. Am I too negative? Let me know. Let me know in the comments on Facebook. Let me know via email. I don't think you are because every episode in season three, the ratings have gone down pretty substantially. So we talked about that last week, right? How basically nobody is watching the show right now. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that at the midpoint of the season or the, at the break, we'll kind of the, the future of, of Netflix because, and the future of the Witcher, because at that point, I think we maybe we'll get some, at least initial coverage of the volume two of this season which might point toward a a future. And then with the ongoing writers and actors strike, these studios are hemorrhaging money. Yeah. I'm just uh, waiting for them for the SAG-AFTRA to tell us to start boycotting Netflix. And then I will end that subscription. You're going to let Fran Drescher tell you what to do with your hard-earned money. It wasn't Fran Drescher. It was, what's his name? No, Fran Drescher is the head of this. Of I know she is, but I'm, I can't believe I'm blanking. Sean Astin. He's oh, also, he, he's, he's also, he, yeah, he, I'm uh, not in it, but he's in the leadership. He was on the team negotiating. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I'll listen to Sean Astin. If Sean Astin's like, Hey, get rid of Netflix, boycott Netflix. I'll boycott it for a while. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. I just I want Sean Astin to be to like walk out of the negotiation, like carrying Fran Drescher on his back. <laughs> like I can't I can carry I can't you. do this negotiation, but I can sure carry you through it. So that's what that's what got me. Oh, and what's his name? Adam Conover. I don't know. He's been giving updates on the talk as well. But yeah, pretty much Sean Astin. If Sean Astin tells me to boycott a bunch of things, I will totally boycott a bunch of things. Yeah. Well, funny thing is your boycott might not even be necessary. Just the actual shutdown is really messing with revenue streams. Revenue streams. And the thing is, like, the actors have a point. Oh, for sure. Right. When you. And Sean Astin had a good video where he explained everything too. He was like, 
actor needs to make $26,000 a year to get health insurance. And only like 20% of all actors make enough to get health insurance. Yeah. And they're talking about like the, one of the things that I've seen a lot of coverage is so many like residuals for traditional distribution of media is relatively simple, but on streaming, it's very complicated, further complicated by the fact that none of these studios are transparent with their actual viewership numbers. So, you know, you get hints and pieces here and there when they, you know, you get the piece of data that they want to tell you about, but it's never so granular that you can, it can be used in a contract for an actor to get remuneration for people who are watching their streaming episodes, you know, five or 10 years later, like they would when a movie airs on On broadcast TV. TV. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have a, they have a, a really good point there where this is a new dynamic and the Studios have all the power when it comes to how much money is going is up to be just because they can always say and this year the other thing they can just play games with the money and be like oh yeah streaming uh, we had a lot of losses there even though like they're making a ton of revenue well that revenue is built on the backs of your actors and your creatives putting content out that is being consumed and you just happen to put a bunch of costs before the bottom line so that it looks like you're not making any money pay those people for the content that you keep up on your on your platforms. And on the other hand, that means tell us who's watching these shows so that the people who make good shit can get paid. The guy who played Roy on The Office was talking in an interview and he said when The Office on Netflix was the highest like grossing show in terms of viewership, the studio, whoever owns NBC, So whoever kind of owns the rights of the office and sold it to Netflix, the studio was making money for the number of people who were watching it on Netflix, but none of the actors made any money off of it. Yeah. Unlike what would happen when you would get reruns on TBS or Comedy Central or whatever, where every time an episode ran, if you're in the cast of that episode, you get a check. Mm -hmm. And that's like freaking, I, I, I mean, it's crazy to me that the actors on Seinfeld are still getting millions of dollars a year because it's constantly it, like every night on multiple stations, you're going to get at least one episode of Seinfeld TBS. Yeah. And now it's on Netflix and now it's on Netflix anyway. So there's that. Yep. I got to let my dog out. Um, All right. Well, I already did the spiel. You can find us, you know where to find us. You can listen you- to us next week. Episode five of the Witcher. Is it as good as, it needs to be in order to round out this first half of season three. We will find out. And then and also stay tuned. We're almost done with The Witcher. There's only like four episodes total left. So <laughs> and then, just regardless. stick with us. We'll almost be done talking about The Witcher and being negative. And then we can talk about other things very shortly. We're going to need to find something that people that is being well received. Like we need the next Andor, I think. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. All right, bye, everybody.